But I did a space yesterday. Did you did you listen to yesterday's space? I caught I, I, I caught a bit of it. Uh I was in and out, obviously. Sunday nights are tough, but uh pretty intense. Huge audience. Yeah, man. And I'm listening also um uh Brian Armstrong did an interview yesterday. I was listening to it uh, or I think yesterday on the Wall Street Journal, um, talking about his efforts to to he couldn't even get a meeting with Gensler, uh, despite many attempts. Instead of flying out to try to meet him, never got a face to face meeting, which is pretty unusual. Yeah, we've said this quite. A, we've said this quite a few times. SBF had no problem getting meetings. By the way, he had face-to-face meetings with Gensler. Yeah, a number of them. Face-to-face, not over Zoom. Yeah, uh, I can't confirm whether they were uh, face-to-face or over Zoom. But Brian Armstrong's not getting a Zoom meeting either. No, he got a Zoom meeting. He did get a Zoom meeting directly with Gensler. Only one though. Oh, so obviously incomparable to FTX. But he did get a Zoom meeting, according to the Wall Street Journal interview, but didn't get any others. Uh, you know, Zoom right, same yeah. as in person in 2023. Yeah. No, bro, you gotta you gotta shake that. Listen, you gotta hug. You gotta build that relation relationship. Zoom meetings are easy to just end face to face. You gotta get a coffee. They tend to take longer. It's just more personal. And uh, Gandler not taking that meeting face. You know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, Scott. You're the king of conspiracy. I'm joking, but yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> I'm like I'm I'm more balanced when it comes to everything from from Gensler to Sam to 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 to, to Coinbase, Binance, CZ, etc. Um, but yeah, just things do look a bit off. Sam met Gensler twice, uh, and Gensler under his, in his congressional hearing, he said that, uh, they, they said, how many times did you meet Sam? And his answer was my public calendar indicates twice, which to me sounds like exactly a a BSE lawyer answer that you meet is that you say (laughs) met him more than twice and you want to, he says my public calendar says twice. So we know he met at least twice. And we have uh, public information on some of that meeting. We know that that um, Gensler's former employee and former uh, counsel to the office of the chair when he was at CFTC became Sam's general counsel. And then his old buddy Sam is there. And then his old buddy Sam's girlfriend, who was Gary's student, was there. So it's like a big old family reunion with the guy who uh, was the second largest donor to, to the politician who appointed Gary. And then his his pals there. So that that's how you get access apparently in DC. I think I think that our anger towards Gary may be a little bit mis uh, misguided. Um, I'll tell you why I think that. I covered it today on the show, but I'll, I'll walk you through it. So, I on the show I said, you know, like Gary in this case is like, you know, like every company has one of those like health and safety guys. You know, like and their job is to make sure all they do is they look around and they say, you know, can people get hurt? Can people get burnt? And then they put up those irritating rules that say, you know, you've got to do this and you've got to do that. And as you people that work in the company, you all think like, like what an idiot, you know, like who is this guy? Why does he do it? But his mandate is just to make sure that people don't get hurt and people don't get burned, right? That's that's his whole mandate. Now, I think that that's Gary. And if you if you compare that to like a company, you say, look, if the, the fire hydrant guy, the guy, the risky fire guy, He's not thinking about whether the company remains competitive in the global landscape. He's just thinking, can people get hurt if there's a fire? And that's Gary Gensler in this case. And I think if you want to see change, I think if you want to see change, hold on a second, hold on a second. I think if you want to see change, the CEO has to drive a mandate to say, this is a priority for us. And until the CEO is sending people, Gary Gensler is the health and safety guy who's telling you, who's putting up fire hydrants at the office and telling you to light yourself on fire at home so you don't get hurt at work. 
Yeah, he's walling off the building so you so that so that he's turning the building into concrete with no exit and entrances so that it can't catch on fire. Now, listen, I'll give you the the pro Gary argument is that there's no legislation. This is devil's advocate. There's no legislation in place. So when your only tool is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. But I, I can get that. And I can see that even in his uh, warped, twisted uh, Mr. Burns looking mind that perhaps he believes that he's doing good, but objectively nobody has been protected. And the people who are, who have, who have uh, access to this asset class right now are getting absolutely destroyed by what's happening. Nobody's being protected. People are only being hurt. So even if that is the nature of his job, he's doing it poorly. Uh, I don't know. I, don't, I mean, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I agree with you. Like I think we, I know, I know it's, crypto bros. It's an easy. I think to... I think Gensler is an easy punching bag, and I, I think he, look, I was more, I was less skeptical of Gensler. I was more, you know, less critical of Gensler a few months ago. Um, but I think you know, Ryan, like just the fact that he hasn't, he didn't meet Brian face. You know, Brian's been trying to do the right thing. We all agree on that. So like just a basic question: Why didn't you meet the guy face to face? Why didn't you offer some clarity early on? Because his job is to make sure that that crypto stops hurting people. He only has one tool. He doesn't have a set of rules. The only rule he has is 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 that the the um the the what's the name the Howey test. That's all he has. That's like the only thing he has. He, he only has one hammer. That's it. And so he has to now that, that's um, use this hammer. That's not true. That is not true. There has been it's been for five years. Uh, Commissioner Purse, and frankly, I'm on public record of doing the same thing in February of 18. For five years, it was pointed out that the information that token project investors should need is available for them to put onto an SEC website if they register, and they're not allowed to register because their corporate structures and type of investment are do not fit within the SEC guidelines. So the reality is, if he actually had a concern of helping investors, he would solicit or could have at any point in five years solicit feedback of how to amend his own rules, if he believes they're securities, for how to put tokenomics, for how to put scarcity let me, supply let me, uh, schedules into. Yeah, sorry, Dave. I, I think you dropped out, so I interrupted you by accident. But, but I'll, I'll continue with the interruption, Dave, since you've been here for a while and, and you know that I interrupt a lot. Uh, Dave, I wanted to kind of pivot the conversation to... Before going to today's news, what I wanted to do is pivot the conversation from Gensler and, and whether he's in the right or the, in the, or the wrong to the market's response to the to, to what we've seen over the last few days. Now, we've covered this at length, uh, but I just want I want Vinny to touch on it because, Vinny, you, you used to be a regular on our shows back in the FTX days. And I know, you know, you're, you're a regular on Rand and, and Scott's shows. Um, but I haven't asked you that question. We haven't spoken since uh, the SEC lawsuits and, and uh, the, the DOJ leaks. And then the the crash in the altcoins a couple of days ago. What's your stance today? How bullish bearish are you? Do you think the market is reacting the right way? Do you think without without you know without speculating? Can you speculate whether we're at the bottom? Just give us a brief overview of where you're at mentally. Yeah, so I, I think it's just this is all bunch of probabilistic outcomes that we you know no one actually knows where we're gonna go. So let's just be frank. Like it's all you, you can be bullish or bearish at this point, but it's not it's not certain that the 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 end result is going to be one way or another. And one thing is clear, and I think uh, there's definitely a divide between East and West right now. Uh, and, you know, so th there's a question I have around where, does wealth transfer over the long term to the East 
Uh, Hong Kong just made crypto trading legal for a large number of cryptos. Um, it seems like the, the East is gearing up to get more behind uh, crypto. And obviously, we have a, an East and West sort of political drama playing out on top of all this as well. So that's that's the first thing. I think um, the second issue we've got is that there is no real legal precedent in the U.S. for what's happening in crypto. I mean, you had the SEC go to court a couple of times, win a couple of cases, lose a couple of cases. But the, the, the battle between the SEC and Coinbase will probably be, be the most um, you know definitive battle we're going to see in our industry. And the outcome of that will determine which way we go with this. And I think that Coinbase versus SEC is is the only legal battle that we we should care about and 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 we need to focus on uh and you know when i say legal precedent like i want a judge to actually say this you know, here's my ruling based upon these facts and after that then the law i see the change or you know or whatever or a new agency created or, or whatever the case is but this is this is the battle of the titans really but what do you think? So, Vinny, so the more direct question on... Go ahead, Rana. I, I, let me ask my question quickly, um, Rana. I'll give you the mic. I'll, I'll shut up for a while. Just one question, Vinny. The ambiguity on whether these all these tokens will be considered securities, and I know this will be a prolonged uh, legal battle. Uh, wh what do you think that uncertainty will do? We'll just start... We'll start up, simply, as Bruce said, will they just move to, uh, to outside the US? The world doesn't revolve around the US? Or could that really take a hit on, on a few of these protocols and on startups and a further hit on VC funding in the ecosystem? Yeah, I mean, that's already happening. Uh, a lot of founders are moving out of the U.S. or, or starting companies outside of the U.S., so that's really happening. Um, I think people need to appreciate that a lot of the talk comes from the U.S. Uh, it's the world's largest economy, and if, you know, we we as sort of crypto investors can't, you know, can't don't want to buy, uh, you know, it's going to impact the valuations and the prices. So crypto prices and valuations will probably come down if the, I mean, look, if the SEC wins their battle against Coinbase, the market's going to shit the bed. It's going to be as simple as that. If Coinbase wins, it's going to pump. Um, that's basically the... the, the, the but that's in, that's in years. That's in years. Away, What's in right? five, six years? No, no, I know. I know. So this, 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 like, this is a... We, we're kind of in, 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 in purgatory right now. It's going to take a long time. So what time happens, what happens well, in actually, purgatory? No, what happens right? in purgatory? Well, well, actually, so the, the real question is, this is like what happens with the next administration, you know, who is in the next administration, because yeah, it's very clear that the current administration is anti-crypto after FTX collapse, right? So, um, so for I'm not going to go to the reasons, but I think we all know some of the speculation out there. Uh, they're very anti-crypto. And if it stays the same administration for the next four years, yeah, we're going to be in for a tough ride for, you know, a couple of years. The, the, the counterbalancing point here is that the East could just say, we don't care. And, you know, Bitcoin goes for the halving next year and crypto is legalized more and more in maybe China or wherever else, Russia. But it's not only the East, Vinny. It's not only the East. If you saw Andreessen, I, I spoke about it today on my show and I said, look, you know, if you look at a, a US election and there's an election coming out next year, I think the last election was one fifty-one forty-nine by the Dems, right? Yep. And if you look at some of the, if you look at some of the, um, the, the the seats won by the Dems, for example, or the Republicans, some of the differences in votes were like 8,000 votes. Like the one party was ahead of the other party by 8,000 votes or 10,000 votes. So I think there's a point that that um, Bruce made last week where he says, you know, you don't need a lot of votes. You need a, a small amount of votes to actually change an election. Now, what does it do to the US when they read articles like Andreessen, Andreessen which is, I would say, the bedrock of, of VCs 
in the bedrock of of cities or Silicon Valley, which is effectively created the 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 economy of the United States for the last twenty years in terms of technology. And these guys are now saying, look, you know, we're actually opening our first office outside the United States. And it's not only them, Sequoia's doing pretty much the same thing. Going into an election year, do you not think that the Democrats have to tone this down? No, I don't think they have to tone it down at all. I think they think this no, is the I popular think, pitch. But yeah, go ahead, Vinny. No, no, I actually think Run Run has a point here. I think that if if um, the, the, guys, it all depends who the candidates are in November, right? So and what platform they're running on and what their sense is towards crypto. So the the like, I don't think we should underestimate the the impact of political pressure on this process and what the SEC does and who's running the SEC and whatever else. So let's see how it plays out. I think it's a factor, but I don't think we can bank on it. I mean, I think in crypto, we should have hunkered down and basically this is just like, you know, hold, uh, maybe accumulate, maybe take some chips on the table if you need to. Um, this is not the time to sort of sell your house and buy buy anything. Um, it's we're, we're not in that season right now. Vinny, you sound, you, sound, you sound scared. You sound scared. Much more scared and much less optimistic oh, than I've heard you. Right. And, and, I'm very concerned. Uh, there's a spectrum of outcomes here which are unpredictable like we don't know so i think it's 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 just to being prudent right now in this in this particular is this the most scared period. that you've been is this the most scared that you've been in your crypto life be honest um no name I, one time for me no, 2000, 2019, 2019 was worse okay bruce 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 Fenton, I know you're a speaker here as well. Is this the most scared that you've been in your... Is this the biggest battle the crypto's ever had to fight? Is this the most terrified that you've been? No, I'm not I'm not that worried about, especially about Bitcoin. I think uh, it's showing, you know, Bitcoin strength. I'm less worried about Bitcoin being uh, destroyed. I think looking at the environment of and, and what's happened over the last, you know, recent history with the U.S., I think it's clear to me that the U.S. just can't stop Bitcoin. I mean, they, they, I, I think uh, that they are trying to stop Bitcoin. I think it's naive to think that they're just that these people who hate Bitcoin, Gensler, Warren, these kind of people who are pulling the strings, they hate Bitcoin. They've never owned Bitcoin. They don't believe in Bitcoin. They don't see the value. When they say crypto, they're not talking about altcoins. They're talking about everything, including Bitcoin. And they hate Bitcoin. And if you had a mandate a year or two ago, if you're Gensler or Warren or whatever, and you create a mandate that says we want to get rid of Bitcoin, uh, you'd look at it and you'd talk to your lawyers and you realize that that's very difficult because Bitcoin is ultimately speech. It's code given away for free and published, and that's protected under our First Amendment, which is one of the hardest things to fight in the U.S. So if you wanted to attack it, you'd attack everything around it. You'd attack the on-ramps. You'd attack the off-ramps. You'd start doing money transmission things. You'd um, you'd do exactly what they're doing now, and you and and what you do is you would try and boil the the, the frog in the water with increasing uh, legal maneuvers. You know, I'll predict one thing now: if I was trying to attack Bitcoin in the United States government, the next thing I would do is I would attack one of the forks like Bitcoin Cash or especially BSV, because nobody is going to defend BSV. They could they could write up anything they want, and every clown in this space would be like, "Go government!" They could write up a thing that says, "You know, we are suing BSV and these and Craig Wright and Calvin Air because proof of work uh, coins are a security, and this coin is a security, and everything else." And every idiot in this space would be cheering for it because 
it's extremely unpopular. That's how you attack speech. You attack, like, if you want to attack free speech, you attack, like, uh, you know, somebody who's saying something horribly offensive because nobody wants to, uh, you know, defend that person. But if I was trying to attack Bitcoin, that's what I would do. I would attack a very unpopular chain like that and then use that president, win the case. And then you go later and you and you attack something like money transmission or something like that, uh, you know, adjacent to Bitcoin. You go into a judge and say, look, your honor, in this federal court, uh, we won this this judgment that should, that acknowledged that proof of work coins such as BSV and therefore Bitcoin are problematic for this, this, this. That's how they do it. That's exactly what they're doing. They're trying to get more and more. Um, you know, legal ammo that they can use in other cases because Bitcoin is very hard to stop. But make no mistake, they are trying to stop stop it for sure. But having said that, I'm not that worried globally about it. Yeah, but Bruce, for a very long time, XRP had that same sort of polarization and I think uh, sort of a negative connotation for anyone in the market who wasn't a huge supporter. And it's interesting to see most people galvanizing behind Ripple now because they just want to see any win against the regulator and against the SEC. So I, I wouldn't even put it past the community to get behind PSV to some degree I to see a win. I, I used to hate Ripple and I it was interesting. I think it might have been I think it honestly I think it might have been somebody clever who was trying to turn the XRP people against me cuz the like day like 3 days after I announced I was running for office last year, I said something critical. I said something uh, no, I know what the tweet was. I tweeted a tweet and I said, SEC ought to be shut down. The entire building should be shut down, uh, auctioned off to the and the, pub, the money given to the public and Gary Gensler sent home. So you would think that would be a positive XRP thing, right? Wrong. Somebody, somebody put out the word that I was anti-Ripple. They found out a four and a half year old tweet that I had made criticizing them for p- appointing Ben Lasky. And I had the entire XRP Ripple army on me. I mean, it's it's it, people have spoken about this before. It's crazy when you have the whole when you have thousands and thousands of posts like hating you. It was, it was I mean, it was it was nuts. But but it was crazy because I'm like, we should all be allies. Like me saying I want to get rid of Gensler should be something that everybody should be, you know, the XRP people should be in favor of. I mean. Can everybody hear? I, I I lost sound. I don't know if it's just me or everybody. I, I hear you. Uh, okay. Yeah. I, I didn't Thank hear you. anything there for about 15, 20 seconds. Yeah, I didn't hear I anything either. I think broke the internet, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't me. It was you, Yusko. You're the internet. Yeah. Hey, can I, can I just add, I just want to add one little quick thing because I, I got a short window here that uh, we had an interesting discussion, Pomp, Jason, and I, we do our Monday ICs and I have to give I have to give credit to Jason on this one. It's a very nuanced view that that I kind of think is right. In that, he said, "Look, this is this is actually not a, a big giant attack on Bitcoin that we all you know kind of think it is. It's it, it may may or may not, but I, his point was that this is really an attack on crypto broadly." And the rails that Fed now and ultimately CBDC want to maintain. So they're basically like, okay, all of you competitors for our primary rails, we're going to shut down and we're going to use all the ways we can, you know, enforcement through uh, or, you know, regulation through enforcement. And you, know, you think about BTC and, and ETH have really been kind of 
cordoned off and not really uh, specifically addressed. I just think that's a very nuanced and probably correct view that this is really more about preserving the the integrity of of the Fed control of the primary uh, money rails. Thought that was interesting. Go ahead, Bill. Yeah, I was just going to follow up on what Vinny was saying in terms of the game theory. Uh, maybe a, a more nuanced view of where we are and and uh, how this is likely to play out over the next two years. I think the, the the biggest challenge right now is everybody's so emotional because, you know, honestly, uh, fear of price, right? I mean, obviously, narrative follows price. And a lot of people think it's the other way around. But the reality is, is the SEC has been on their soapbox for over over a year, right? There's, there's a lot of the actions just started started now, maybe enabled by FTX. But but the reality is, is that this narrative that everybody's um, you know espousing, which is fear driven, is, is is a function of price mostly and fear that it could go lower. I actually think that the economy itself is falling off a cliff right now. Um, oil is plummeting. I think uh, you're going to see a big drop in employment numbers. I think the CPI numbers are, are, are going to plummet f- further. I think a lot of that has been priced into the stock market over the last year. And, and I, I don't think this, I think the lows of, are long in for stocks. And the perception is, is going to be that the Fed is going to lower rates uh, sooner than everybody thinks because they always get it wrong 100% of the time. Their guidance is always wrong. So, so now let's assume that that's somewhat right. You know, I, I realize it could be wrong, but let's assume that's somewhat right, and we do see a spike in in, in liquidity, right? Um, I do think you're going to see a, a, you know, you might see a capitulation move in crypto, but save that, I do think we're going to see a higher crypto this year than where we're at now. Um, you know, we we could we could hit twenty. I I have no idea, but but I I think it, it, I'm I'm reasonably convinced that the liquidity is going to come in droves and that's going to have an outsized impact on crypto as it always does. And the question in my mind is, okay, well, if narrative follows price, what's the narrative that's going to follow price? Well, there's a couple of things that are interesting to me right now, right? What's the hottest topic in all of tech by far? Clearly AI. AI, right? Exactly. So, so how does that impact the narrative as it relates to crypto? Well, I've been thinking about this a lot and I think the most interesting Un, probably non-discussed topic is the integration of crypto and AI. And what's the most likely integration point for the two, right? Why would Andreessen Horowitz move uh, or create a subsidiary to invest out of the UK? Well, I think you're going to see an explosion. Sorry for the maybe Freudian slip, but an explosion in DAOs that are actually AI-based that use token economics, um, similar to the way we had you know, smart contract based NFTs and, you know, DAOs and, 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 you know, algorithmic stable coins, et cetera, et cetera, but start to show the power of how you can use uh, autonomous smart contracts in an AI driven environment, which I actually think is going to have show an explosion in venture funding. Um, you know, I don't know what you want to call them, new token offerings, whatever. Uh, and, and, you know, the message is going to be, okay, regulators, come shut us off, right? Come find us. You know, I don't know if you ever saw Jumpin' Jack Flash when, when Whoopi Goldberg was, was in the phone booth and trying to call for help for dear life. And, and, and the operator came on the line and said, uh, uh, please insert a quarter. And, and she said, you come find me in New York for this damn quarter. And, and well, that's, that's going to be this down model, 
right? The question is going to be, how are you going to shut them off? And the answer is going to be, well, you come find us because there's nobody to shut off. And I do think that this environment is perfect for creating the mentality that we need to create hardened, decentralized solutions. And I think AI is perfect for that because if you want truly autonomous uh, artificial intelligence, I think integrating that with um, next-gen token economics is is um, a huge idea and completely untapped. Anyway, so I think, and I have other ideas about how this is going to play out, but I think if, if narrative f- follows price and we are falling off a cliff, which I think we are, and I think the public grossly underestimates how fast this economy is is falling into a recession. It may be V, V-shaped, that's fine. But the reality is, is the Fed's always a lagging indicator and they're going to basically look at this and in a, in a, in a political environment where they don't want uh, the Republicans, they are going to basically be flooding this economy with money any way they can. Call it QE, call it lower rates, it doesn't matter. They're going to be flooding the economy with cash, in my opinion. I think uh, a lot of people here probably agree with that. I just want to give a quick reset to the room. We never even really did an introduction. Everyone, obviously, this is the Crypto Town Hall. We do this every day at 10, 15 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We even even did it this weekend after saying that we wouldn't uh, because apparently we are psychopaths who hate free time in our life. But to give you a very quick market update, everything pretty much seemingly flat today. Stocks very much flat. Bitcoin uh, up 0.29% from yesterday. But uh Giving a market update on Monday after what happened Friday or Saturday, Saturday is a bit disingenuous because I think we all know that there was an absolute slaughterhouse bloodbath in the altcoin market. Uh, we saw coins specifically that were named in the multiple suits and those then that were being delisted from Robinhood drop upwards of 25% at a certain time and now sort of dead cap bouncing. I think that that's the topic that we need to probably uh, hone in on. Right before we do that, though, and I ask everyone's opinion, I just want to say how absolutely important this week is on so many levels. I don't know that we've ever really had a week like this. I mean, in macro alone, and that's not even necessarily what we're talking about here, we have CPI Tuesday, FOMC meeting Tuesday and Wednesday, PPI Wednesday, FOMC rate decision on Wednesday. That's not even crypto. Crypto today, we have a deadline for Binance and Binance US to respond to the SEC's application for temporary restraining order. But then tomorrow alone, massive SEC ordered to respond to Coinbase's rulemaking request. District Court in D.C. to hold 2 p.m. hearing on SEC's temporary restraining order request uh, request against Binance U.S. Internal SEC documents and communications regarding Bill Hinman's 2018 speech on Ethereum decentralization expected to be unsealed finally after all these years in the Ripple case, revealing further reasoning behind Ethereum not being considered a security. House Financial Services Committee to hold a 2 p.m. hearing titled The Future of Digital Assets. Public comment period closing for SEC's proposed change to exchange. That's all tomorrow. And in the next 24 hours or to 30 hours, we're going to get all of that, guys. I mean, absolutely never seen, I don't think, as intense a news cycle here when it comes to regulation. But let's talk more about this bloodbath this weekend, because I think it was pretty astounding and shocking for a lot of people people here. Anyone who'd like to jump in and give their opinion, Rand, I see you lifted your mic. Go ahead. Maybe not. Uh, this, this is not a bloodbath. Well, this guys, isn't even close still... to a bloodbath, guys. Come on. How, 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 Bill, how is that a bloodbath? 25% drop in a day. After, and we're, we're at pretty low levels already. Like, yeah, but you're talking about 25% drop in all coins that are not very liquid in the first place, right? So if you look at Bitcoin and Ethereum, which is the vast majority of crypto, 
right? You're talking about a what a, a, a three and a half percent weighted average drop across yeah, those. Yeah, but, so, but but that's not what I mean. Like they were not considered securities, so they're not counted in the bloodbath. Okay, okay, fine. I mean, but but still, altcoins have shown twenty five percent gains in a day, twenty five percent drops in a day over time. You know, tread carefully with altcoins because, as I've said for years, you run a significant risk of losing a lot or all of you your money when you're speculating in altcoins. The thing that excites me about altcoins is is not the price volatility. I realize there's a lot of traders on here looking to figure out when they can pump back in. I'm interested in this methodical march towards global decentralization. And a lot of these projects are important for that. A lot of them will fail. So be it. That's the nature of tech. 95% of startups fail. The only difference with these projects versus startups is that these tokens are publicly tradable, whereas most startup equity is not. I'm not saying that any of these are securities. I think I think the SEC got the definition of securities wrong here, but that, that, that's not the point. It actually doesn't matter to me. What really matters to me is how are these projects affecting the methodical march towards decentralization? And, and in that sense, startups are hugely volatile. Projects, whether they're decentralized or centralized, are very volatile. Right. And and that's going to be the nature of these things as we figure out or as the the software industry figures out the winners and losers, which is going to play itself out over the next five to ten years. And we don't know what the use cases are going to be. And and you should expect more of this volatility, some of it regulatory driven, some of it market driven, some of it use case driven as projects fail, as projects succeed, et cetera, et cetera. It's not going to stop. And Mike, before before you go, Mike, and then Brett, just for the audience, like, do you think we're over exaggerating when we put in the title "Are altcoins dead," or do you guys agree that is there people? I think it's ridiculous. Think I think it's. I, I mean, look, it's your it's your space. You can call it what you want, but I think it's ridiculous <laughs> to be honest. So yeah, I I, 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 I agree with you. I'm still holding my bags, but uh, we, we we gotta we gotta get people into the space. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> I grew up listening to Howard Stern. So, so I understand sensationalism, I, and, and and I actually enjoy it. I still listen on occasion. I admit it, but it, it you ask a question and it's ridiculous. So that's your answer. So, but, or just before, I think before see if Brett thinks it's ridiculous. Tied uh, that are worth highlighting from what was just said. Um, the first is that remember that BTC and ETH make up at least sixty percent of all the volume in global crypto. And it's higher when you include derivatives, especially in the U.S., if you're looking at the U.S. market alone. So if you think about, you know, is crypto dead? The obvious answer is no. Um, what we're going to see probably in the short term is a push to higher trading volumes on the regulated platforms that are protected by the CFTC. That's what we're going to see in the short term. Um, and in the meantime, I think companies are going to hunker down while we sort of wait for something to change from the regulatory side. I mean, obviously, this litigation, these litigations are going to take years, so we're not going to get clarity from there in the meantime. There's at least some promising movement with regards to legislation, but that's going to take a long time. So what is it going to be? Is it going to be an administration change? Is it going to be the influence of large you know, companies in the US, like A16Z, for example, that's going to help push back and change the narrative? I'm not sure, but in the meantime, people are going to hang around and weather that storm. They always have you sort of see cycles like this with very virtually every new technology and every new asset class. I don't think we're going to see anything different here. The second is a very interesting point that there is a very big difference between you know BTC and ETH and sort of name your average altcoin 
and that it is sort of like a view into the high, highly volatile private market. I mean, think about all the startups out there, not crypto startups, just normal sort of software, you know, equity-based startups. And if you were able to sort of see a secondary market, a liquid secondary market in those private startups at all time, what would you see? You probably would see similar volatility, you know, 5%, 10%, 20% moves during sort of particularly volatile points or particular news related to the regulation for those companies. And that's something that we don't appreciate, don't get to see normally in these kinds of markets, because we're only used to public markets where these companies have been around for many years. They're very established, very predictable. And so, you know, you don't get the same kind of volatile events. So I think it's important when we are looking at these sorts of products to not sort of freak out and say something is terribly wrong here, understand that these things are highly sensitive to news and not necessarily representative of the larger crypto industry. Yeah, I mean, this is something I literally tweeted. I just want to say I pinned this tweet above because it's something Dave and Mike and I talked about quite a bit uh, on YouTube before, just sort of to echo that point. Total crypto market cap is 1.05 trillion right now. Bitcoin and ETH together are 710 billion of that. People talk about Bitcoin dominance, but when you now add stable coins, which weren't really there before, and in past cycles you had to exit through Bitcoin, you don't anymore. That's 126 billion left. There's only 214 billion of literally everything else. So you're talking about 20% of the entire market cap of crypto is every single coin that's not Bitcoin, Ethereum, or a stable coin. Scott, I would add, I mean, just talking about um, your audio, James says, yeah, JJ's your audio, not sure if you can fix it. Yeah, no, it's very, very echoey, a bit far from the mic. So maybe I'll, I'll let you fix it. Yeah, I'll let you, I'll yeah, give you like sure. maybe a minute to fix it, James. And Mike, I know you're trying to unmute earlier, so I'd love to get your thoughts on the uh, the narrative around altcoins. How is that? Is that uh, uh, yeah, yeah, James. So we'll go, go to Mike and then right back to you, James. Mike? Oh, okay. Hey, James and I have a tendency to do that. Um, yeah, I think what um, Bill said makes a lot of sense. This is a resumption of a bear market. We just have to face it. And there's really good reasons for it. It's going to be a minimal of a year to really have something get past this. We have an election coming up. It's very likely to happen during a severe recession and very likely to tilt towards a young Republican if they can get the right candidate. That's just facts, the way cycles work. As far as the thing I've been as part of me always in this space is just the massive amounts of silly, massive speculation in bogus coins. Now, that's just going to need to be purged. We all knew it was going to happen. And I think the way to look at it is we've had a bear market last year. It's bounced. That's the way all bear markets work. And we're probably supposed to go back down and take out those old lows. That's just life. But it's also the macro is so overwhelming. And remember, cryptos were part of it. In the big pump of liquidity, now the liquidity is still bumping, dumping. That's the bottom line figure. In the macro, the liquidity is still dumping. The Fed is not easy. And the central Bank of Canada is hiking. The ECB is still hiking. So that's the macro. But I look at it from, we all know those 25,000 cryptos and coin uh, market cap need to be purged. Maybe there's 100, 100 that matter. But it's Bitcoin, I think, is being differentiated. It's certainly Ethereum. And, and, and one thing I also want to and one thing I want to find, I'll, I'll end with this and go ahead. On the show we did with, with uh, Scott and on um, uh, Macro Monday, he did point out about crypto dollars. People call them stable calls. I call them crypto dollars. Right now, they're 11% of the total. In 2018, they were five, they were 0.1%. And that's the thing I always like to publish to make sure the U.S. government's aware of and make sure strategists who are bearish dollar are aware of is when people say the U.S. dominance of will is declining, it's not. 
it's actually increased. And just ask any central bank who's tightened in the last year, why are they doing it? Because one reason, the most significant central bank in the world is still hiking. So the dominance of the dollar in the U.S. is actually increasing, particularly with this war going on. With that, back to you. And Mike, one more question to you, Mike, before we go to, to, to James. One last question for you is how long do you think this process will take? Are we, are we, you know, could we expect a crypto ice age, as some have uh, named it? Uh, well, exactly. Um, I, I'm expecting the worst recession, global economic reset of our lifetime. Now, I'm 58. I, this is something, the cycles are all there. The last thing to drop is the stock market. So this could last so long. I think Bitcoin's going to come out eventually. Gold's going to come out eventually. Deflation's going to kick in. If I'm wrong, yes, go ahead, tilt him alone and blame him. But I'll point out this morning, people are talking about the crash in Bitcoin uh, and cryptos over the weekend. Crude oil is down 5%, 4%. (laughs) That that is the most significant commodity that's been trading for 100 years. And it's collapsing. Why? Because the world's tilting towards recession and central banks are still tightening. Now we also have this whammy of of the U.S. regulation. Now it's going to take at least a year to have to get past that election to tilt. Maybe we'll win a case. Um, eventually. I, I don't, you know, eventually that's going to happen. But for now, and here's one thing I want to end with. Those of us who are in futures and been around for a while, we've been there, done that with Gary Kensler when he was ahead of CFTC. We all got past it. I just remember people at Goldman Sachs privately said some very nasty things about him because he really crushed their business to create swaps on commodities. But what he did was eliminate some of that, just added some restrictions. Maybe they were missed you know, miss, uh, didn't really do what they're supposed to, but it all worked out. People moved on and we're okay. But it just added that regulation space to commodities. Hey, now he's doing it Mike, for crypto. So this is meant he's just that kind of guy. You got to deal with it. Mike, don't you think that the markets have already priced in a recession and are now going to need to price in the massive amounts of liquidity that need to be injected, so there's, which actually could point to significant spike in, in risk on assets? There's a key thing that's changed. That's the big thing that Mr. Powell said he's changed all things. Uh, even our chief economist, Anna Wong, has changed. The Fed will never ease with the ease of the past. So you have to focus on, you're focusing on what they've done every single time the stock market down went 20, down 20% since the 87 crash, with the exception of the big financial crisis. They always threw liquidity at it. Right now, they're looking at owner's equivalent lent, the highest ever, employment cost index, in, you know, personal consumption expenditures very high. They're looking at lagging indicators and they are expecting pain. They expect unemployment to go up. And so you have to bet on that. But again, we need a long and variable lag to a significant period of easing for risk assets to typically bottom. And the fact that most people are still looking for a soft landing, including the Fed, and the markets are up. The stock market is our chief strategist. Um, Gina Martin Adams said it's a bull market. I'm like, okay, well, good luck with that one. That's what they said in 1930. And it's just sometimes you have to look back to yourself yep. and say, be careful following the masses who are did not realize that, hey, I'll end with this, that things have changed. So why is crude oil right now $67 a barrel when a year ago virtually every strategist on the street said it's going to be 150 or over 100 They were completely wrong because they missed what changed in the world. The U.S. and Canada produce about much crude oil as OPEC does. They have a massive surplus. Why? Because the technology, part of that technology is cryptos. I agree with it. It's adopted the dollar. I agree with it. But we're in the flush stage. It's a bear market. I look at it as you look for, in bear markets, you're supposed to look for opportunities to sell rather than opportunities to buy. And that's, to me, the bottom line here is we have good reasons for this to end until liquidity pump gets turned on. And I think it's not going to happen until the stock market makes it go on. It means it's got to go down. So I'll end with that. I actually think it's already started. 
Um, I mean, I, I think your comments on the macro state around oil falling and, and the reasons for it are all correct. But I actually think people don't realize on the margins, liquidity is shit, but it's already turned. And people are just looking at this like, oh, the you know banks aren't lending, it's getting worse. And I actually don't think it has. I actually think liquidity is improving. It's just on the margins, it feels terrible. Um, and you have to look at global liquidity, not just US liquidity. And from a global perspective, it does feel like we've troughed. And I don't know. I just, I, I, I do feel like the Fed has to figure out very quickly over the next 18 months how to lower rates because if they don't, the entire system is going to break. We cannot sustain these rates with the debt levels we have when no one wants our debt anymore. It just the two don't reconcile. And I do feel like people are underestimating the degree to which uh, we are actually seeing improvements in global liquidity. I don't know. I just I think yeah. I, I, I could have it wrong. But but, you know, after 30 years of looking at this, it just feels like this time is not as different as everybody would have us believe. I don't know. Bill, you're absolutely right. I mean, the playbook of the Fed is to knee jerk on the way up. So they wait too long before raising rates whilst facing inflation and they, they wait too late to cut rates. And I think this time it's going to be no different at all. The Fed will carry on marching on despite the damage that's already happened to the US economy and, and globally. Um, I don't think we should expect any difference. I mean, I, I also I actually think last month's rate hike was a policy error. They probably won't do one this month, but probably next month will carry on and it'll be equally as damaging. If you look at the US um, banking sector, over 40%, so that's 40% of US banks have a credit default swap of over 100 at the moment. Um, that's a really worrying situation. So I do think there's still a big risk of a Minsky moment. And that this is not like, um, factoring in some of the uh, the problems in other sectors. So if, if you look at the first rate hike and how long it takes to have an effect on it, CPI, so we're getting the results through tomorrow, obviously, but it generally takes about 18 months after the first rate hike for it to have a material effect on inflation. And I think a lot of people are being lulled into this false sense of security that everything in the US is getting better, looking at the payrolls numbers, when you know, the, these rising rates have, ne have not hit the U.S. economy yet at all. Um, you only have to look at, say, the U.K. and Europe. I'm not saying monetary policy is any better, but they haven't been anywhere near as aggressive. Um, but then again, inflation is not so good. But onto the altcoins side of things, I think you have to look at altcoins like small cap companies. Um, they are the canaries in the coal mine. When, when the economy starts to deteriorate, they're one of the first things to go. Um, and What's cool about crypto is you can measure the success of these in quite alternate ways. Um, so we've been looking at GitHub data. We've scraped about four terabytes of data looking at 5,000 5, different crypto, 500,000 different ecosystems and aggregating them. And, you know, if you take Ethereum, it's over the last 180 days, it's seen 108, uh, sorry, 38% decline in active devs. Uh, but then you take some altcoins, you know, Everscale, that, you know, the active devs has fallen 84%, Polygon 62%, um, Gravity Dex 65% decline. So what is evident in this data, in these 5,000 different ecosystems, is that it's all coins that are getting killed from a developer perspective. perspective. They're all leaving 
those small cryptos, and I think they must feel that economically it's just not worth their time. Wait, wait, wait. James, where are they going? Is this like one of those, hey, everybody's leaving crypto for AI things, or is it they're packing I... eggs, taking their ball and going home? Because that's the first time that I've heard anything fundamentally wrong at these projects outside of, oh, price is dumping because of the SEC. My analysis isn't sophisticated enough to say whether these individuals are shifting their focus just onto the larger cryptocurrencies. I mean, there are some altcoins that are doing very well, like Tonic Labs has seen a massive increase in um, active devs, you know, 4,700. What was that Tonic Labs. I've literally never heard of that. And I'm pretty deep in this market. I mean, some of these are quite small, but, you know, there's 389 devs in Tonic Lab, which... You know, compared to something like Polygon, which has got 241, it's not that irrelevant. But, um, you know, a lot Wait, how many, what, so sorry to interrupt, James, I just got to dig into this. So uh, is Ethereum developer activity increasing or decreasing? It has been Solana. increasing, but not as much. Um, so it's seen a 30, it's got, you know, Ethereum, if you include the other components, such as the consensus and the execution layers, it's probably got about 3,000 active devs and it's down about 30 Forty percent over the, over the last hundred and eighty days. Um, you know, it's, it, this is really varied in terms of what's doing well and what's doing badly. You know, like um, if you look at the near protocol, it's down fifty four percent. But generally, most of them are just down. And I think there's a lot of there was a lot of fluff in there. A lot of devs were thinking, "No, I don't really want to be course, involved but... in this anymore," and they weren't really doing much anyway. Okay, but we've talked about James. Sorry to interrupt again because this is fascinating to me. We always talk about like the Bitcoin mining floor, right? Where uh, all of a sudden they become not profitable. They turn off their monitors. Is this effectively a similar thing where at a certain price for the coin, the incentive is not enough for them to continue? Because this isn't as bad as it was even a few months ago. So there has to be something else going on here. This is the first time I've heard this and I'm really, really, really shaken by that. Because that is a yeah. very different thing than prices down. That means that the developers are losing belief in this market and are leaving and that well, there's I don't think it's quite as terrific as you might think. So you can look at another you can look at on GitHub, you can look at active devs, um, something called pull requests and then commits. And commits a commit can be any kind of change in code. So you can you could put some parentheses in, in some some code and that would be it. That's hardly any kind of change. And if you look at pull requests, that's a bit more substantive. So that is when code is actioned and enabled onto the into the uh, into the kind of the, the 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 blockchain. And what you find there is actually pull requests have not declined that much at all, which is telling you I think those core sets of devs that are around now are doing just as much development work as uh, and, and a lot of those devs that have fallen by the wayside weren't doing much anyway. I, I think there was a kind of a bit of a rush in 2000, uh, 2021 and 2020 where devs were just thinking, hey, let's let's get involved in this, but they weren't really doing much. So, okay, yeah, James, well, the we... next natural question, and, and Mario, you're going to like this. Is that because they're using AI and all of these devs are 10x de- developers now and can code way better and there's uh, less work for the... No, it's because the grip is gone. The grifters are gone, and it's just like the dot-com crash equivalent. The dot-com crash gave us Google, Facebook, and a whole bunch of you know, next-gen internet economy companies with staying power, and I think that's exactly what's what's going to happen here, right? So the quick buck developer artists, you know, in the dot-com era, it was BMWs as, as bonuses, 
Here it's people, you know, releasing token projects before there's any use cases and the market for that is has has dried up and 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 those people who hearts are in it or not not in it for the right reasons or in it for the wrong reasons are gone and and good riddance, right? So uh, we've seen this before and 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 we'll see it again. And and I think that it's the quality of the developer output to to the point about what you see in, in, in GitHub that I think is is super super exciting. Not not just the sheer the sheer numbers. And uh, I do think you're going to see the emergence of just some absolutely killer use cases over the next couple of years because the people who are in it. Uh, are are you know that their hearts are in the right place because they're clearly not in it for the quick buck. But what if that trend continues? I agree with you, by the way. But what if that trend continues down massively? Well, look, I, I I can tell you, I sat in VC meetings when I was an investor. You know, pre nine eleven, when when uh, the sentiment was okay. You know, software is dead. It's it's not coming back. Get get used to the new norm. And then what happened? Right. We had the biggest bull market in history, which was basically a function of massive amounts of capital, uh, low cost capital that flooded the system, which enabled uh, a level of software based entrepreneurship, which led to this whole software is eating the world mantra, the likes of which we've never seen. So then that begs the question, well, is this time different? And honestly, I think in that regard, I don't think it is. Uh, and and you know, I just think industries. I think the industry is being stripped down. I think it's being stripped down to the bare bones. You've got, you know, exactly. These devs who weren't really doing much, and you're just now getting to this kind of a base where all the quality core developers, um, where yeah, they're committed to actually working at this. That's exactly. And what we saw was just a load of fluff in 2020 yeah. and 2021. You have a choice between AI and crypto, and you choose crypto. Your heart is in it, right? And, yeah, that's and, absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. It's as simple as that. I just wanted to point out really quick, because Vinny, before I think it was Rand that was asking everybody, well, is this the most fearful? Is this the most pain? Is this the worst situation you've ever seen in this market? Is this when you have the most doubt you've ever had? Everybody sort of deported to 2019. Vinny certainly did and said that was worse. And the reason I think for a lot of people that 2019 was worse for anyone who was there was because it was just endless, right? You had just apathy, nothing happening, nothing to talk about, prices slowly drifting down or going sideways and just nothing happening. And that sort of what you're talking about now indicates that might be what's coming. Apathy, right? Apathy and just nothing happening for a while. And that would make this whole situation way worse as we contend with the SEC and, and regulators, et cetera. If, if you're I would trader, love your guys' thoughts on that. If you're a trader, it makes it worse. If you're a builder and you have a five-year vision, I, I, I think I think your apathy is towards the traders. <laughs> as, as but you need builder. to have you need to have a five-year build. You have to have a five-year runway as well because sure. you, because you have a five-year vision. And how many companies really have a five-year runway? Well, and we're actually really yeah. counting on the on, on on this kind of thing happening now. I can only like, go by like, what like, I know. I can only go by what I know. And when I look at dot com. And everybody said venture is dead and it's not coming back. And, you know, we saw uh, a level of entrepreneurship the likes of which we hadn't seen in over a decade. And so, yeah, I, I do think there's there's pain to come. I don't think that we've seen the last of the failures uh, and on the corporate side or even on the decentralized project side. But that's just the way of things. Right. We 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 don't accept the fact that, you know, 90 plus percent of new 
technology projects fail. And that's always going to be true. I, I, I just, I, I think this, again, narrative it follows price and everybody is basically being driven by the, the fear right now that, that it's just a, a trend that's going to continue and, and it never does. Right. So, um, right. But how many of these developers could potentially be leaving because they don't think that there's a future for it if they're in, say, the United States and you're seeing many. these nasty listings and this, this action? But because that, that doesn't necessarily make them grifters. That makes them maybe pragmatic and, and fearful that they just. 100%. I think for most developers, AI is a better bet right now. Um, and I think for the people who stay in crypto, it's going to be because they have an absolutely killer idea in their mind and their hearts are going to be in the right place. And there's nothing wrong with that. Unless, if you look at the overall dev scene, uh, you look at this 5,000 different cryptos that we track, um, it's down 50,000. Why so few, James? Why so few, man? We get 5,000. Yeah, million. I mean, there's, <laughs> there were 100,000 devs 180 days ago. There's now 50,000 devs. Um, In six so, we've lost yeah. half. Yeah. Well, so it'll, 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 well, wait a minute. So GitHub, GitHub is seasonal. So, so you have to look at it on a seasonally adjusted basis as well. Meaning, uh, you know, GitHub usage dramatically slows from from June to late August. So, so I don't know if if you're taking that into account. I'm sure the numbers yeah. So, uh, my my numbers are kind of eight. I would be um, highly it's the big seasonals talking yeah. about the like the health of companies or projects by the number of PRs submitted or unique users of GitHub. I think like it just it, for anyone here who has like worked inside of a tech company before, I think that is like the it's sort of like an anti-metric. Just want to throw that in there. What then is the best metric for defining the health? I mean, I think it's sort of difficult to think of it on a on a. It's difficult to lump every kind of company out there into one bucket i mean you have infrastructure companies you have protocol developers you have security companies you have security audit companies you have you know different sort of decentralized networks i think it's i'm, I'm definitely not going to be the one to try to come up with like the single silver bullet that's going to tell you the sort of the full health of the kind of the future crypto market i think it's as much as sort of current sentiment as anything else yeah, I guess I was just trying to understand if developer activity, price, etc., are not the key metrics for determining what's happening with an individual project or protocol, how do we then determine their health? Anyone can answer that, but uh, Dave, well, I, think... I see you have your hand up if you don't want to. Go ahead, James. There's definitely some link between price and dev activity, but what leads what, you know, just when the price tanking, do devs leave or... Uh, price tanking because devs are leaving. I mean, I I, I, I think it's the former, I think. James, James can I, can, let me ask you another question, if you don't mind. How does this compare? How do these metrics compare? And anyone could take this, Dave, James, anyone. How does this compare to 2018? Um, yeah, just looking at 2018, we saw a decline. Now, I would say, just eyeballing it, I don't know exact numbers, I'd say we saw about a 30% decline peak to trough. Uh, whereas this time it's it's more dramatic. In fact, if you look at the overall dev numbers, they're lower than they were in 2017 at the moment. We're at a seasonally funny point though, because what I see in the numbers is that over Christmas time and just after, there's a big drop in devs, and my data only stops. It only it it stop, it finishes at the 30th of April this year. I'm just updating June numbers right now. 
change as you said hold on you said dev numbers are lower than they were in 2017 yeah uh, and so i've seen many others scott did you know that scott Rand, did you guys know that no i didn't and that's uh, i'm sorry i find that astounding maybe maybe yeah. i'm not looking at it right travis i saw you lift your mic yeah. there's a lot of you obviously who want to jump in here go ahead travis. you look at I'll just finish here. You look at Masari data and it will show you the active devs are still well above the 2017 levels. But we're taking like a very, very broad spectrum of ecosystems. Everything that electric capital provides in terms of all ecosystems, we're aggregating it all. And I don't think some of the other data providers are doing the same thing. So that's why our, our data looks a little bit more bearish than others. I think a lot more bearish. Yeah. Did you Ryan, did you did you know oh no before we give the mic to Travis or David, Ryan, did you know the numbers that James just mentioned? The number of deaths I mean, uh, lower than it was in twenty seventeen. I I must say I don't believe that. Like I, I can't argue because I don't have the raw data in front of me, but what's the what's the source? That's how that's it. how I feel. That's how I feel, Ryan. Yeah. I, the, my my knee jerk reaction is that there's something about that data that's just not accurately portraying what's actually going on on a project by project basis which is that was that was kind of what brett was alluding to as well yeah i mean i mean travis and i have been here since since back then i mean we've been here and you you, you can't even you can't even compare the number of active it's not and yeah, it's not even comparable <laughs> you've been that we've been to hacker houses we've we, we've been to the the hackathon hackathons you've been to all these things that like you, you can't even compare. But is there? But right, is there a number, David? Before you jump in, uh, is there any number, any study that that, that says otherwise, other than anecdotal? Yeah, of course. I'm, I'm I'm actually trying to find something now. Um, I'm trying to find so something now, but there's many. Look at the electric data. capital data. Yeah, that could be I think what we're all missing, and maybe you know, it's just because I did the most up in 2017, 2018. Was the 22 billion invested into the ICO market when everyone on their LinkedIn page was running an ICO, had businesses, developers, and everything blowing up, and that facilitated the bull run for those years? I mean, we can't ignore. I think someone said before the grifters are gone this time, but I can't help as an outsider for what I'm definitely on the opposite side of most people who are speaking here, but I can't help but hear feel like I'm hearing the same things I heard in. 2017, 2018, we're first going to see the killer use cases. We're first going to see this. We're first going to see that. I mean, what fueled the market in 2017, 2018 and 2018 was the ICO investments when everyone was having the first round of true FOMO. And that FOMO is, I think what we're describing now, we're in the opposite when we call it apathy. We are having complete apathy right now because people are turning around and people are saying, Oh my God, you know, what, who should we trust? Who, what's going on? Even if you don't believe in what Gary Gensler is, and obviously here, almost everyone is against what Gary Gensler is doing, there's the opposite of FOMO right now for people in institutional money who do want to liquefy the markets, who do want to buy while, while blood is on the street. Although I don't personally believe we're in a moment where blood is actually on the street. I think we're still in a... We're still in the upswing. Hey, blood isn't blood drying on the street. It's been on the street since FTX. Well, I mean, for people who have been around since you know 2015, 2016, to say blood's on the street because we're off our peaks, I think there are a lot of people who would say the peaks were artificially inflated. Um, I don't think we're in the blood on the street from FTX. I mean, 
we're still above FTX lows. I mean, FTX lows were about in November, I think. And guys, I'm not a trader. We're somewhere around $18,000 Bitcoin. 16. Yeah, 16,000. Yeah. So I don't think we're in that blood in the street moment because if there was truly blood on the streets with what happened with Coinbase and Binance, and look, I was one of the guys who said when this happened to Binance and the off-ramp on Binance internationally got struck, I would have thought in my life, I would have bet my kids who I genuinely like that the price of Bitcoin would have dropped drastically below the bottoms of FTX. So I do think it's important that we're not in that critical crisis moment yet. We're in, I do agree, I do like the word apathy. I do think people don't know what to do right now because they don't see the five-year runway. Um, the other big point I think that's worth mentioning again is, I think Bruce brought this up a little bit earlier, about BSV. The narrative on altcoins, if I was the government, I would be focusing on the altcoins and, and taking out the weaker links. They don't want to, the SEC, especially when they do uh, enforcement through litigation, they don't pick the strongest uh, enemies. They pick some of the weaker enemies to go after. Um, and I do think they're going to go after some of the weaker entities in the coming days, weeks, and months. Um, I do think that's why they picked some of the projects who they named as securities, because a lot of those projects, they don't have the legal wherewithal to fight back. And we're going to see some capitulation. And when we see that capitulation, I do think it's going to show it's going to be exactly what we were talking about, a fight for, you know, who's who the weakest links are and who can't fight. And then we'll see the SEC take a bow when some of these weaker projects fail, which I think we all believe they are. some of But they're going after the biggest players in the space now, David. No, they're going after the biggest exchanges. Yeah, okay. Can you clarify that? I, I, I don't understand how what you're saying aligns with let's go after Coinbase. Okay, so the exchanges and the off-ramps, that's attacking the financial system. And when they're attacking Coinbase and Binance, they're attacking the way the money is centralized and who can handle that centralization. So whereas going after individual projects like Ripple is very different than going after the centralized exchanges. The right, but, two, but, but since Ripple and the library, they've been very passive-aggressive about that, just naming them in these other suits and sort of saying, see, they're securities without ever going after that's them individually. Some... So is your claim we're just going to see like a widespread sort of enforcement action against a hundred of these smaller projects and they're obviously going to have to settle because they can't afford to fight. Exactly is where I'm going with this on the security side. It's very different where we're going to see the attack on the altcoins and the attack on the, what's the security and what's not versus an attack on the centralized exchanges. Will um, they go after ETH? Will they go after Ethereum? That's the question that, that matters. I am dying like everyone else to see what the internal paperwork from the SEC says from Hinden from back in the day. I can't see personally how they go after Ether Bitcoin at this point because I don't think they have the ability to unwind the clock. And okay. I think that's their biggest problem they, right now. They, they can't go for, for, ETH and, for ETH and Bitcoin because there's too much water under the bridge here. Yeah? So, so now they've adopted a new strategy of going for the tokens via the exchanges. Exactly. I mean, so, they control, yeah. so they control the exchanges and that's what the litigation's about. Um, I think Scaramucci a couple of days ago made a really good point. 
where's the 70 billion in lobbying going? The 70 billion in lobbying isn't going onto the altcoins. It's going onto from the legacy financial banks and the Goldman Sachs to control what the legislation is going to look like for the centralized exchanges and who can operate them and who can control them. That's where the money is going. And that's why I think right now we're too, we're too early into it right now to see what the real end game is here. But I think what we have to be looking at is what the differentiate between going after the exchanges and the money and going after what's the security on the altcoins. I think they're going to end up taking a lot of shots at these smaller altcoins. So is the altcoin market dead? No. But we're going to see a lot of action getting a lot of the smaller ones blown up and killed. I think, I mean, Dave, with respect, I think I think there, there may be something that you're missing here. And I'll tell you what I think you're missing. And then maybe, if, from because you see it from a legal point of view, then you can give me uh, uh, wh- wh- how you see it. Um, I said on this spaces on Saturday that the way I see it, what they've done is they've actually banned altcoin trading in the United States. And the way they did it is as follows. They issued two actions against two of the biggest exchanges, right? In those two actions, they issued two separate lists of coins, which were securities, right? And some of them were were the same, and some of them were completely different. There's like a common, there's like a common subset between them, but effectively, there's different coins between them. I think what they did there was they issued a very strong message to anybody who wants to trade altcoins in the United States and said the following: You never know when we're going to come for you. When we, when we come for you, you never know which tokens we're going to deem securities. But if you are trading a token that we deem a security, even though we have never told you it's a security before, we could hit you with a lawsuit. Now, what does that do? It gets every single compliance officer and every single uh, 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 exchange to consider whether they want to be hit with a with a SEC action. And probably a lot of them are going to just have to just delist altcoins because it's either that or lose your entire business. And so what I think that they've done here is they've actually, they've taken another step towards banning altcoins without going to Congress. Could I, could I tie that to the point that was being made before on developers? Because one of the most important points here isn't the exchanges. It's if you're a developer or frankly, you know, a founder or whatever, but if you're a developer and you want to understand whether or not your time is going to be compensated, if you're in the United States right now, your time has just suffered massively in terms of whether or not you're going to be compensated because you might think that you're going to get you know rewarded with tokens for the work you've done and you won't be able to sell it. Meanwhile, if you're sitting in Dubai, if you're sitting in Hong Kong, if you're sitting in Europe, uh, your time might very well get rewarded uh, and therefore you're going to be more willing. So the, the trend of, of developers decreasing is completely unsurprising. Because we have this this great sucking sound of people thinking, well, I'm not be able to get at this. The entire reason for tokenomics in many respects is to prop up the network and incentivize developers. And so they're going at that critical underpinning, which literally is the exact opposite of, uh, not to jazz Bruce up, but is literally the exact opposite of what the SEC's mission is to do. But uh, but that is exactly what they're doing. So it's, it, and, and we talked about, people talked a lot about the internet bubble at all. I'm, I was nodding crazily. I mean, I was on the trading desk at the time. And the difference is, in the aftermath of the internet bubble, we did not see people cracking down on companies. We did not see the FCC going crazy. Oh, you use the internet for this. You did this wrong. You did that. We didn't see that. We did not see a massive regulatory push in the aftermath of the internet bubble, period. And that's really important because 
basically that's why Google, Facebook, and all the ones you guys talked about were able to grow. Now <laughs> we're in a situation where the U.S. is actually doing the opposite of what it did back then, and the rest of the world is doing what the U.S. did back then. And I think you need to understand what that actually means. Uh, Man, Dave, do you want to get want to, hear, to Hidman here? Okay, go ahead. Just before we go into him, and Dave, I just want to hear your views here, like around what I said. Uh, do you think that every exchange now in the United States is seriously evaluating whether or not they want to be listing any kind of altcoins, or do you think I'm I'm, I'm being a bit dramatic? Listen, you're not dramatic at all. Robinhood proves that proves you're right. I mean, the difference is, is Coinbase basically is. I mean, look, they're they're eight nine months pregnant, whatever. I mean, you know, at this point, they're not going to do anything. They're, they need to defend their process. They say they, they reject 90% of their applications, and I'm pretty sure they're going to stick to their guns until they get a path towards a settlement, which is what will happen because no company, well, I shouldn't say that will happen. Maybe maybe they will try to stick it out. But the fact is, is the SEC virtually never goes to court. The amount of times the percentage is really small. Generally, it ends up in settlements. And so I think you're going to see some of that. The problem is, uh, there's no. They will go to court with Coinbase, right? They are going to go to court with well, Coinbase. You, there's no. There's no way. Coinbase is not going to settle because settling would mean all nasty listings. They're going to go to court. right. So Coinbase is definitely Coinbase is definitely going to settle. So the, uh, come on, ninety ninety statistic statistically they're going to settle. It's going to be huge fine. But Ran, <laughs> yeah, I mean, but 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 Ran, I mean, I think to your point, and what you are suing, you are suing Coinbase a lot, right, David? <laughs> I, I am. <laughs> I've got over I've got over 150 cases against Coinbase myself. Um, but but going to Rand's question, Rand, I think another thing, and this is not my area of expertise, but we have to talk about the fact that Coinbase can't necessarily pivot because they need revenue, and every out everything they delist is less revenue to them. So they're not just going to roll over, which is when they say they're going to fight. I do think they're going to fight because they have to, as Dave was saying. They have to. They have to say that our process was solid, and we tried to play by the rules. I think that was their get their game plan from the beginning. And as long as their game plan maintains, uh, we're going to say we were running a legitimate business, and we're legitimate. And we only need you to tell us how to run a licensed exchange that is compliant. We're going to keep doing what we're doing, and until that happens, that's the settlement I think they're going to look for. For them to get legal compliance, because that is the, and I think Vinny was talking about this before, we could say about everyone leaving the United States, I'm not as a big uh, believer that A16 going to London is a big deal. Uh, London it's is nothing. Yeah, it's, it's nothing. They're I mean, opening London, an office. Who cares? Exactly. So the only thing that matters is that the, the U.S. Is the, is, is the end of the rainbow. And I do think Coinbase is going to fight till they solidify. Their you both say, you, hold on, hold on, hold on. You guys, you both say that it's nothing. I think you're missing the big picture here. Yes, it is nothing in terms of capital flows. Yes, it is nothing in terms of an office. But I want to just highlight a few things for you. Number one, this is the first office outside the United States that these guys have opened. Number two, Chris Dixon says in, in his blog and anything he says, crypto is still in the early innings and needs clear regulations to provide an open pathway for startups to build constructive solutions while protecting consumer and stamping out harmful casino cultures. The UK is on the right path and eventually they had to leave the US because the US stifles their innovation and their growth. That's what he says in the blog post. Then, and I think the part that maybe you both missed here, is the last US election was won by the Democrats 
with less votes and because they got 51 versus 49. In the next election, in order to swing the, the difference between swinging one state or one or one um, uh, 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 seat is just a few passionate investors. Now, headlines like Andreessen leaving the US and any smart investors reading this and going, we're losing our VCs to the UK. It may not be factually 100% correct, but it's the it's it's these kind of headlines which are going to sway the voters in already what is a very uh, tight potential election. Have people cared when they've seen Brian, maybe in the answer, maybe yes, but I mean, we've seen this from Novogratz, Galaxy is as big as Andreessen Horowitz to some degree. They they said they're opening offices elsewhere, moving offshore. Come on, are you really comparing? Are you really comparing Galaxy Digital to Andreessen Horowitz? I'm just saying they're the same headlines. These are the same headlines. I'm it's not the same headlines. I mean, Galaxy is listed in Canada, isn't it? Whereas 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 Sequoia, where Sequoia and Andreessen are, the, 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 they are the are the the darlings that built Silicon Valley. I think to back ran on this, I think what could happen is what you're not going to see publicly, which is that what are the conversations going to happen now with all the LPs in Andreessen? Because how many major universities, state pensions, you know, government, government, like, you know, sovereign wealth funds are invested in A16Z. And if they're making this move and they're asking the question, why? And are they going to be able to get the best investment given the current U.S. regulatory environment on that firm? I think that could be where the influence really happens versus just the headline. I agree. The headline of their opening an office in the U.K., who cares? Every company has offices in five different countries. Mm, yeah, but I think, again, I think it's just you have to sway a couple of voters. You don't have to sway a lot of voters to win the election. You have to sway a couple of voters here. And I think that you know, we're, we're what? We're one year and three, four months, what, 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 November. So it's one year and five months away from the election. So I think as we get closer to elections, I think it's going to, I think that they're going to have to tone down the 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 argument here. Um, bear in mind that we're not a lot of, in, of voters in, in the United States, but we're very, 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 we're very, very, very passionate voters. Yeah, I don't know. Listen, I, I, I agree with you. So I would just want to play devil's advocate for the sake of conversation. I think most people that we are giving credit for being passionate about crypto actually kind of hate it at this point. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I think that most yeah. people are down are down massively, do not have a positive view of this market and are unhappy and are not going to vote on this. And I think we're a very, very vocal minority, which is great. We're passionate and say we're one issue voters and care about this. And that's how I view myself. But I think the majority of retail in the United States will have major fatigue against crypto and will not view it as a key component of their election. I agree with that strategy. Well, one thing one thing to take into mind is the fact that it's basically seven states that are that will decide the election because of the electoral college, and it's right. typically the, the big cities in those states. So Las Vegas, Atlanta, um, Philadelphia. These are areas that the crypto industry can mobilize and that the Republican Party, who's going to be the ones who are fighting, you know, sort of on the pro crypto side, um, depending on who gets in, of course, uh, if it's RFK, obviously, uh, it, it'll be less so. But assuming that it's Biden versus Trump or Biden versus DeSantis. And um, if it's DeSantis in particular, I think that there's a very strong chance that um, forces could mobilize in those areas. Las Vegas is a very, you know, kind of 
easy it's, it's pretty uh you know dominated by like you know one newspaper um you know owner that's got the you know day morning and evening and, and all the tv stations are owned by the same group and you know atlanta's got got a decent blockchain uh presence and same with philadelphia yeah, I agree that the city that loves gambling is probably going to be on board with pushing crypto. Uh, I do. I, I don't dis- listen. I don't disagree. Like I said, I'm I'm playing devil's advocate for the for the sake of conversation. But I do think that it's important in general to step out of like the people we necessarily follow on Twitter and our own echo chambers to see what's really going on out there because there are much bigger problems that are going to drive this election than our opinion on. Now, now, Scott, I do have a couple of points to make because I've been listening here. Um, this is going back to the miners. We're still at an all-time high for hash rate, and historically, over the past ten years, price usually does lag uh, behind the hash rate. Uh, and the miners are investing, you know, billions of dollars collectively into you know long-term infrastructure, so they're in it for the long haul. Another point I need I need to make is it's still profitable to mine Bitcoin. The last number we got uh, back in April 30th is it cost seventeen thousand dollars to mine one BTC. So I don't think of it as a uh, as so grim. It's something that people have been saying for a long time. Well, what if the miners dr- uh, drop off? Well, Bitcoin has a difficulty algorithm that retargets. Uh, so it's it's self healing in nature. But yeah, sorry, that's not the point I was making. I was just saying that we always have the narrative of minor capitulation sort of at the bottom, and I was making a comparison to the developer activity that James was talking about dropping off. Got it. Just wanted to make that point. Cool. I think we've covered everything, guys. Any any final thoughts for the audience? Scott, Ryan, by the way, for the audience members, we, we forgot to tell you all. Uh, we, do, we do go through the comments, um, get your thoughts, and it seems... Look... <coughs> You know, Ryan, Scott, you know my shows have kind of gone beyond just crypto and, and I'm starting to get more exposure outside our crypto bubble for the last year since FTX has collapsed. And I could tell you this, the sentiment, the amount of hate I get because I still have a punk and probably not for long um, is is just increasing month by month. And, and this week hasn't been the best. Um, yeah. So I don't think voters give a shit. I know there's the argument of like, hey, freedom, freedom. Well, with the Restrict Act and people are talking about it. Uh, and we covered the crypto aspect, which I thought was one of the more important aspects of it. Um, people, you know, the response we got from people is like, "Hey, we don't care about crypto. Um, you know, that's that's not the concern we have. We care about people's freedom, etc." So, yeah, the sentiment has changed massively, and um, uh, you know, I, I think we've got to keep that keep that in mind because we're still in our little bubble at the moment. I mean, but, um, but Mario, I just want to point out that I, I agree with you a hundred percent. I just think that'll. If we're going to be honest, that drastically changes with price. If we see some ripping bull market between now and the election, all of a sudden people will care about crypto again. If we see, yeah, but what, 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 what we're going to see that, but but for pro- for price to go up, we need people to come in, and people just uh, and they'll need to see a, a, a sustained price. Like well, look how long it took us for uh, for the bull run after after the twenty eight collapse, uh, twenty eighteen collapse, and if we got see keep getting bad news with regulators, um, I just don't see them, and, and you know we're going to see something. The, targeting the the usdt or we could see more pain with binance with the doj uh with your doj filing that, that i just don't see things getting any better we need some sort of good news now will ai help that will will apple's headset whatever apple vision pro help the metaverse projects in the ecosystem web3 metaverses and, and that would help nfts and digital ownership i don't know but it's just not looking like it we didn't even get we didn't even get the uh fabled metaverse 
Bitcoin irrational pump on the Apple announcement that you would have expected when this market always. Yeah, was there actually? Yeah, I, I didn't check. Was there anything that pumped? Chat Chat GPT released, and all of a sudden, you know, fifty altcoins that have nothing to do with AI all pop off. We've seen this in the past when Meta rebranded from Facebook to Meta. We saw all these metaverse projects go crazy. We saw nothing on this Apple pop. We're really, uh, I mean, which by the way, the more apathetic and disgusting and ugly this bear market gets the closer we are to truly being in a momentum and rising out of it i want to read you something just before we go uh, i want to read you something from um and recent horowitz's letter around expanding to the uk because i know you guys brushed it up and said it just said like but i really want to read something to you it says um over the last year it has become clear that blockchains and software movements around them usually called crypto web3 can only succeed in a clear regulatory regime that provides an open pathway for startups while also protecting consumers from fraud and manipulation. This regulation should be aimed at stamping out the casino culture that has developed around crypto while also allowing for constructive applications to reach their full potential. A common question we hear is, what is the problem that blockchain solves? Services built on blockchain solve the same problem that other digital services solve, but with better outcomes. They can connect people in social networks while empowering users over corporate interests. They can underpin marketplaces and payment systems that facilitate commerce, but with persistently lower take rates. They can enable new forms of monetizable media, interoperable and immersive digital worlds, and artificial intelligence that compensate rather than cannibalize creators and communities. Technology takes decades to develop. We are now seeing the mainstream application of AI after 80 years of development. We are in the early innings of crypto. Today, there are tens of thousands of crypto developers, but the number but numbers are growing fast. So, sorry, today there, there are ten, tens of thousands of crypto developers, but the numbers are growing fast and we expect to see 1 million developers by 2030. The infrastructure will improve, increasing performance and lowering fees, and many more applications will be built across a wide range of categories. And this is how they justify moving to the UK. So I don't know if that... Uh, I don't that understand why they don't just move to Dubai. Like, why the UK then? Yeah, I, I, yeah. All right, guys. So so just for the audience, if you do, we're going to start doing pitches soon, uh, like we've done on the other shows. So if you want to pitch your project, we're still active. If you want to work with us at Incubator, DM Scott, Ryan, or myself. Um, otherwise we'll see you again tomorrow. Bye guys. See you later.